0: Well, as the Lord would time things, and He so often does, uh, and, and well, not often does, He always does, but uh, in a special way uh, for us, uh, we're going to be looking this morning at the very last Passover, celebrated celebrated by the church, uh, with the transition going to the very first Lord's Supper and as the Lord would time things, it's the day that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, this morning, this first week uh, here in June. I would call your attention to Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through uh, 26, and just want to remind you of where we are. Jesus is in Jerusalem with his disciples. He is, uh, this is the day that he is going to be betrayed. Uh, he will be crucified the next day, and he will rise from the dead uh, on Sunday. Uh, and he is, uh, this is his parting time with his disciples. And if you have been tracking along with us in the book of Mark, you can see that uh, he basically exposed Judas uh, last week, but the disciples didn't get it. They didn't fully understand it. Uh, and uh, we're now at the point where they are actually going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, as a great transition. And it's very significant because he is transitioning from the old covenant. To the new, and the Lord, the Passover will no longer be celebrated, nor will the sacrificial systems. No, no longer will any of those types and shadows of the Old Testament be celebrated. Because the f- f- was the holiest festival of the Jewish year, uh, the eldest uh, male within the family would interpret what's going on uh, and would uh, help uh, kind of work out the four steps within the process. Uh, the liturgy consisted of the recitation of the halil, or the singing of the Halil psalms, Psalms 113, uh, through, uh, one thirteen through one. 18. Uh, And what's interesting about our context tonight is all of the disciples are there in the Lord's Supper, but according to John, one's gone. One's gone. Judas has already left the room to go make arrangements to betray Christ. So the Judas is out of the room. Now the intimacy between the true believers in Jesus Christ can take place. But what I hope to kind of convey this morning is just the significance of the fulfillment of all of these wonderful prophecies, all of this truth, and the coming and the power of the coming of the new covenant that was promised to us in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And in so many ways, the the demonstration that Jesus is going to have here, the transition of the Lord's Supper is going to show this. Over the millennia, over the centuries, millions, millions of Passover lambs were sacrificed but according to hebrews 10 they were all insufficient to do away with sin but the final lamb of god will be sacrificed and will be will do away with sin for all of those who believe in him let's go to the lord uh, and uh, in prayer and then we will join him in the upper room for the first lord's supper father in faith we turn to you right now we pray blessings upon uh, the reading of the text um, Help us to understand this wonderful sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Even as we participate in it today, God, there has been so much confusion over something that really should not be all that confusing. And I pray, God, that you would help to enlighten us both doctrinally about what the Lord's Supper is, but also help us to understand what it's not. And I pray, God, that even as we prepare to to partake in this Lord's Supper, this wonderful symbol that has been part of the church, this sacrament for some 2,000 years, I pray, God, that we would have a full understanding of what it is that we're going to do. And yet we ought to recognize there is a mystery involved that we will never fully understand until that day when we sup with you in heaven. Bless us with your presence. Just make your word come alive to us this morning and let us just fall more and more in love with you. With every word that we read, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, please turn to Mark chapter 14. We're just going to look at verses 22 through 26 this morning. Uh, and you're going to see really three different areas. You'll find this is, uh, in your home group, Helps. Uh, as an outline for you and as an insert that might help you kind of follow along with us. We would encourage you to uh, participate in one of our many home groups uh, where we go back through the service uh, uh, and uh, the sermon and uh, try to gain a little bit uh, um, greater understanding. If you can't participate that, we would encourage you to use this as both a personal devotion and also as a family devotion, perhaps, as maybe you ask some of these questions within your whole household there. But we're going to see here three different components here. We're going to see the bread and verse 22, the cup in verses 23 through 25, and then the clothes in verse 26, I call your attention now to Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, God says, Mark writes, while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we see here, here the the taking of the bread in verse 22, uh, and again just to remind you the Passover meal, and it helps just to know the significance of the Old Testament Jewish practice of Passover, the transition. Uh, to fully grasp the transition to the lord 's Supper, but there were four parts of that meal that began with a blessing and the pronouncement of the, of, the, of the blessing over the family, and then a ceremonial washing of the hands and then the second part of child was to ask this question: "Why is this night different from the other nights and then the father or the eldest male would then recite what happened according to uh, the, 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 the fleeing from Exodus and the death angel going over uh, the homes and passing over the homes. Of the Hebrews, and yet attacking the firstborn of the Egyptian household. Probably, they probably didn't have scriptures with them. They're not like us. They didn't carry their Bibles around on their phone. They didn't have smartphones. They had flip phones at that time. Uh, so they didn't have all that. So he just, they just, you know what they did? They memorized it. They memorize Scripture. So he's probably reciting from memory what it is that uh, they did there. Uh, And then the Father pronounces a benediction over the various foods that symbolize uh, uh, and kind of recount the captivity that we're under. There's unleavened bread, right? The unleavened bread, the bread was unleavened because they had to eat it and bake it in haste couldn't wait for it to rise because they were going to take the exodus in the next day. There are the bitter herbs that remind them of the bitterness of slavery. There's the stewed fruit, and when you mix the stewed fruit together, it had the color and the consistency of clay to remind them they had to make bricks for the Pharaoh and the building of uh, his uh, pyramids and things like that. Then, of course, they would take the Paschal lamb, and it was the blood of that lamb that was smeared above their doorways that would, uh, that would uh, in a sense, ensure their salvation as the death angel passed over their time. And then a- after all these various things were explained, they would, uh, the family would be invited to partake of the meal and they would eat uh, together and then they would sing the Psalms 116 through 118 at the end. And after each step, they would drink a cup of wine. Uh, To remember, of course, the redness of the wine would also remind them of the blood of the of the Passover. And it says here that while they were eating, he took some bread. So um, he probably spoke uh, in the Aramaic, the liturgy that was used at the time that uh, is still used to this day. Uh, He as he took the bread, he would have said, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Every let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat. The Passover meal. And of course, if that sounds familiar, you might remember that Jesus invited everybody who was hungry and thirsty and burdened to come. To him and partake of his salvation. And then he gives a blessing here. uh, And uh, what would happen is they're all reclining around a circle. The head of the family would come up uh, and he would uh, take a cake of unleavened bread and then he would break it and he would pass it around to the individuals involved. And then they would pronounce a blessing over it. Praise be uh, thou, O Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. Uh, And then everybody would respond by saying, Amen just the way we do, because we learned it from them. Uh, and then he would break it, and he would give the pieces out, and then they would pass it around. That's why I'm excited that today we're going to start passing the plates around again, because uh, th- you get that more sense of a family meal, right? You know, uh, that's what we do. Can you please pass the potatoes? And we, we pass the food around as a family of God as we pass the bread and as we pass the cup around. Uh, and, uh, but it's interesting, normally we, that's a very s- solemn moment, during the Passover meal, when they're breaking the bread and the the, the head of the household is passing, and they're passing the pieces of bread so everybody has a piece of bread. Well, Jesus sort of breaks the silence here. And he adds this first word of institution here, and he says, take it, this is my body. Now, he, again, was probably speaking in Aramaic. The scriptures come to us in Greek, but it's a translation from what he probably originally said. And in Aramaic, basically, it would be translated in English, eat this, my body, okay? Now, there have been so many, there have been wars over what does he mean by this is my body. And you see these various uh, views that have come up doctrinally throughout the churches, and they've actually, uh, whole denominations in a sense, have have glatched on to a particular view and and, uh, have a a disagreement. We're not going to fix all that today, but I do want you to understand our view and the view of the historic Reformed churches, and how we recaptured the original intent of this meaning here. Uh, Basically, uh, Jesus is is not saying that that, my body becomes that bread, or that bread becomes my body. He's using, of course, figurative language here. Uh, he is saying that this is my body, it's my person, my whole being. He, a matter of fact, he didn't even use the word flesh there, but body, so it's his whole being. In other words, that bread represents the being of Christ. And really, it's a reflection on the intimacy of what it means to be invited to the Lord's Supper. Uh, that we're to, in a sense, ingest uh, uh, Christ himself it is a metaphor though where the- me- the body or the the, the the bread means or conveys his body and of course, this was uh, the understanding of calvin and uh, and uh, all the British reformers uh as well uh and 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 so there is a sense there where we well let me give you the, the, the kind of the continuum here. you have the continuum here with the Roman Church saying literally the bread becomes the body of Christ and the blood literally becomes his bl- his blood so it, 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 so when you see it that is actually you are to be seeing it as Christ and it's interesting again one of the Lord's time you think I actually uh, went to a mass a Catholic mass last week as part of a funeral and at one point it took a half an hour to to bring everything forward uh, it's, I mean, when you think this is the body of Christ, you have to be very careful. But they have added ceremony and ceremony and symbolism and symbolism over the years. And at one point in time, they hold up the chalice of the cup and the bread over it, and they say, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, if, if I were to hold up and say, Behold the Lamb of God, I'm telling you to behold the Lamb of God who's in heaven. They're saying... This bread, this cup, is the Lamb of God. Well, I think the Puritans were right in saying that's idolatry. That's, you're making that an image of Christ. This is figurative language. He didn't mean that's actually his, his body. But then you have the other extreme, and sometimes in the, the Reformers went too far. They became iconoclastic. Kind of and the other extreme is it's only a memorial. There is nothing significant. The presence of Christ is not here in any kind of special or particular way. Well, I don't think he would have said, this is my body, if it was only a memorial. So we have sort of this position here that the body of Jesus, the human nature of Jesus Christ is in heaven. The divine nature of the Son of God is everywhere. But there is in a special, intimate, wonderful sense when we have the Lord's Supper that Jesus is here in a more intimate way, participating with us. He's invited us to a meal and to remember him. It is a memorial, and he is present here, but the bread does not actually become the body of Jesus Christ now, so he invites us to intimacy, he invites us to feed upon him, to be nurtured by him, and to be strengthened by him. Now, one reason why we believe he's using figurative language is that's, that's obvious the plain meaning of the text. You remember, put yourself in th- into this upper room in Jerusalem. Jesus is breaking the bread, and he's handed to you and saying, this is my body, and then the bread goes around <laughs> all the disciples. He's still standing up front in his body. All right, so there should be no confusion. There's not a single one of the disciples, even some of the blockheaded amongst them, <laughs> that said, there goes his body. I'm holding it in my hand. He, they get the symbolism. They also got it when he said in John 2, his body was a temple. They also got it. In John 6, when he said, he was the bread of life. They also got it in John 10, when he said, I am the door. They also got it in John 15, when he said, I am the vine. The same use of figurative language to to teach a very profound, intimate truth about the deity of Jesus Christ and the humanity of Jesus Christ. So the same rules that we understand the, the the use of plain language in communicating truth, where Jesus says, "I'm the vine," are the same to be applied when He says, "This is my body." Then He goes on to the cup with verse twenty three here, uh, and He says, "It says then, and when He's taken the cup after giving thanks." Uh, that thanks would have uh, said sounded something like this, speak praises to God in whom belongs all that we have eaten. And those who were responding, uh, who were at the meal, would have said, praise be to our God for the food we have eaten. So it's a good example of, of uh, just being grateful for the, for the cup here. Then he would have reached over with his right hand, taken the third cup. Uh, and when uh, and pronounced a prayer of thanksgiving uh, it's likely according to some commentators this was the prayer that the rabbis would have uh, had had uh, suggested using or said to use at the time think about jesus saying these words may the all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of the messiah And of the life of the world to come. He brings the salvation of his kings. He shows the covenant faithfulness to his anointed. To David, to his seed forever. He makes peace in his heavenly places. May he secure peace for us all of Israel. And all of you are to say amen. Wow. I love how that starts. May the all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of Messiah. You see, you're not worthy of the days of Messiah. You're a bunch of sinners. And, and that's doctrinally true also. I know most of you. <laughs> we are not worthy of the days of Messiahs. So we start off by saying, make us worthy of the day of Messiah. And Messiah, of course, is the one who does this. But he is very interesting. He says, this is the, now again, this is red wine. He says this is the blood of the covenant, which should take you straight back again to the Old Testament. It's so tragic. And I think a lot of this comes through the era of dispensationalism, the the, the almost complete neglect of Old Testament doctrine. We learn Old Testament stuff from flannel graphs in Sunday school and veggie tales. And whatever it is that you like, you know, we, we get the stories. We know about the fall of Jericho, and we know about Gideon, and we know about the different Samson, and those kind of things. But then we don't connect the dots doctrinally. Jesus is always throwing the dots at you. And he's saying, This is the blood of the covenant. Now, there's no question, again, even the the dullest of these disciples, and this is late at night at this point in time, would have connected the dot. What does he mean by this? Well, what he meant by this, for example, Exodus chapter 24. Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled it on the altar. And then he took the blood of the covenant, the blood of the covenant, and read it in the hearing, I'm sorry, the book of the covenant, and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So it goes back to an Old Testament. There's a sacrificial system. Uh, 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 There, uh, Moses takes this big basin of blood. He puts a hyssop plant in there, and he sprinkles it, sprinkles it. It's one reason why we sprinkle when we do baptism. He sprinkles it all over the people, and they get the drops of blood on the people, and the people wanted that blood on there because it was symbolic of the forgiveness that comes because an animal just paid the price for their sins there's a visual sermon they're getting that jesus says my blood does that and more this is the blood of the covenant. now if he wasn't god that's really arrogant (laughs) but if he was god that's really true because only the perfect sacrifice would be enough to forgive every one of your sins over and over, even the ones you haven't committed yet. So Paul uh, Paul reminds us that this cup, uh, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Now when Paul speaks about that, which we will uh, again look at those words when we actually partake in the Lord's Supper, he's going back again to Old Testament in Jeremiah 31. This is one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible. It's one of this, this good news in the Now, who's Jeremiah? He's the weeping prophet, right? Why is he weeping? You imagine what it would be like if all of a sudden the state of Georgia and the state of North Carolina decide to invade Anderson. Why they would want to do that, we're not quite sure. But let's just assume all of these armies just come or besiege our town and to destroy it, Jeremiah saw it. And he saw it coming. But he wanted to give the people of God hope. Even in the midst of all this destruction, there is a new covenant that's going to be so much better than the old covenant. You could never keep this old covenant, but God keeps the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, after he talks about the ineffectiveness in the sense of the old tablets of stone, he says in verse 33, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, and I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. That's powerful. Now, this is God speaking. God has seen every single sin you've committed or thought about. He knows your heart. Don't you wish you could forget some of these sins? (laughs) I mean, you ever been like mowing the lawn? Should have been paying attention to the lawn, but you're sitting there, and you go back to, to 1987 for some stupid thing you said or done, and you just sort of cringe? God's like, I don't remember that. I don't remember. Blood covered that. Don't remember that. I will remember your sin no more. But for that to happen, you have to have a sacrifice. Something has to... God is just. That sin has to be paid for. The Old Testament, that sin kind of kept being sort of temporarily paid for, pushed off with the sacrificial system, but with the coming of Christ... His blood was poured out for the many, Isaiah 53, Old Testament. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. You know, I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box. We understand that. But when I got saved just a month shy of, of age uh, 20, I, the, the gospel was new to me. My, I, I had this understanding that most people have that, that what does it mean to be a Christian? means to be a, a good person. And how do you get saved? By being a good person. What's a good person? You never ride a bike or you never commit murder. All right? That's the definition of a good person. All the other things I did were bad, but it doesn't matter. So I just didn't get this. But this idea of a, of a sacrifice, atoning for sin, was new to me. And it really is good news, isn't it? Because try as you may. And, and by the way, those of you who are Christian, you even got the Holy Spirit. You got an understanding of Scripture. You got friends. There's every reason why you ought to be able to stop sinning. How you doing? We just keep failing, don't we? We just keep failing. And we keep going back on sometimes the same sins. Forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive me. If your sin didn't bother you, you're probably not really a Christian. This blood was poured out for the many. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we not only to remember, remember his sacrifice, but also the forgiveness that came through his sacrifice. This is one of the things I don't like about a crucifix. It just shows Jesus' body up, which you could also argue is, a, is an image, a body up on the cross, and it leaves it there. It doesn't communicate the forgiveness. It shows the great sacrifice, but doesn't communicate the forgiveness here. Then Jesus makes this interesting oath here. I will never drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You ever wondered what that means, me too. That's why I did some research. <laughs> Here's this. That's why you pay me the big bucks. Uh, he's making an oath here, and he knows this reference, that day. What's that day? Remember we just talked about the, the destruction of Jerusalem? That day is the return of Christ. It's when the kingdom of this world is going to be gone. The kingdom of God is going to be at hand. We will be all ushered into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, our... our uh, Resurrected uh, uh, spirits will be uh, rejoined with our resurrected bodies, and we will live in eternal bliss. That's the day he's talking about here. So he's anticipating uh, 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 in that day when he comes back and he joins, that all the church joins him, there's going to be a feast. Uh, he, he, this is the time when he is going to take up that cup again, and he is going to uh, to, to drink of again. and uh, And some think people interpret this that he put the third cup down, he drank the third cup, and then put that down, and never picked up the fourth cup. Remember, it, the whole thing closes with a fourth cup of wine. You know what's interesting? The fourth cup is symbolic of the cup of consummation. It is associated with the promise that God will take His people to be with Him forever and ever, and ever. It's part of the exodus, right? You're going to leave and you're going to go out. There's going to be an exodus for us. We will come into the promised land. Revelation 19. You know, I'm always looking for any excuse to bring in Revelation 19, and this one, this one actually really fits. Yeah. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. It's almost as if that fourth cup just sat there waiting for him to come back. And when everything's done and we're there and it's the wedding. And by the way, if you're a believer, you're the bride of Christ. And he's just going to finally pick up that fourth cup and said, it is finished. It really is finished. And then we just have to live forever in happiness. Christianity's a great deal right? I mean, it's just an unending celebration of joy. No more sin, no more temptation, no more getting up at four in the morning because your dog has, has a stomach issue, for instance, last night. It's just a feast, and we just laugh the whole time and cry and worship. I'm really looking forward to it. That's when he takes up, I think, the fourth cup until then we are to symbolically do these things through this sacrament and as paul says for christ our passover has been sacrificed you see he wasn't just instituting the lord's supper uh, as a as a as a memorial of the sacrifice he's actually the sacrifice himself then it says here just quickly Mark just sort of closes here. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Lord willing, we'll pick up there in a couple of weeks. What would they have sung? Well, that's interesting because we actually have God's hymn book in our Bible, right? The Psalter. And he would have sung the the, fi- the, the final song psalms there, Psalm 116 of 118. Psalm one eighteen one and uh, verses 21 through 24 say this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected, does sound familiar, has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting and they're singing this as they're going to the mount of olives now spoiler alert what happens in the mount of olives he goes by himself and he prays lord if possible let this cup pass by the intensity of prayer is such that his forehead bleeds because of the wrath of god that's about to come upon him on the cross and God rejecting him because of his sin, because of your sin on him. And he's singing this song. And while he was going through all of that, and even that prayer, the refrain that would have been going through his mind, in a sense, like, a, like some of the jingles of our day, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. That's probably a pretty good reminder to us. <laughs> We've had some really hard trials here in this church the last few years. Really, really hard trials. We are still having trials. Guess what? We will continue to have trials. Maybe even harder than the ones we have now. None of them have ever matched the trial that Jesus went through for us. And in the midst of that, he could be singing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. He trusted in the goodness of his father And he was willing to suffer the wrath of God as a result. I just want to close with some helpful, kind of a helpful thought from James Edwards here. Notice going back in there, it says here that as he took the cup, they all drank from it. That that word all actually echoes throughout this entire passage in Mark uh, through, through the remainder of the chapter. In verse 23, they all drank. In verse 31, they all swore allegiance to Jesus. But they all fall away in verse 27, and they all fled in verse 50. The original Last Supper is attended by traitors and cowards. It is not a a table of merit, but of grace. (laughs) So, come to the table. Participate in this means of grace remember the sacrifice that the Lord made for us. Father, we do bless you. We thank you for uh, just the symbolism and the power and the majesty of the Lord's Supper. We just forget this sometimes. We pray that you'd forgive us for that. Just pray, God, that, uh, that you would bless us uh, even as in just a few moments we will participate in the Lord's Supper. Let, this, let the, the physical blessing of the bread and the cup Uh, just affirm the spiritual blessing of looking at your word today. In Christ's name, amen.